You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. We've got a great guest for you today, Aaron Freeman. He is the host of Locked On Falcons. You can find him on Twitter at FalcFans. He has the inside information on what's going on in Atlanta with especially Julio Jones. We want to talk about the rest of the Falcons roster and what they're looking like in 2021. Obviously, a new regime in town as well. we got to start this thing with Julio. I have to imagine it's been all Julio all the time on Locked On Falcons for the last little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was basically the Julio Jones saga was sort of the little nickname I gave last week where basically all five days of Locked On Falcons was devoted to talking the ins and outs of Julio Jones and trading him and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we're, we're trying to get back to normal summer content as we move forward, but uh, certainly keeping an eye on a Julio situation. So Aaron, we had Peter on from Locked On Packers yesterday, and I've been throwing this out there. Who says no? I'm just going to get it out of the way right now. Jordan Love for Julio Jones. I would... <laughs> um, I would say the Falcons would say no. I think the Packers would love that trade. I, I don't know if the Falcons would sit there and be like, oh, yeah, we get Jordan Love and that solves our long-term quarterback issues. I, I Yeah, I, I would say the Falcons probably the more reluctant party in that trade. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it would it would have to be that the Falcons have a first round value and had a first round grade on Jordan Love last year for them to be like, okay, that's you know that's maybe as good as you know whatever other teams are offering second round picks right now. And as far as I understand, the Falcons are asking a first round pick. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the that's the common reported uh, story, and we'll see if they get that. It doesn't seem like that is likely based off of all things that have occurred this offseason. You you heard things heating up in terms of maybe they'll get a, a better package uh, a week ago. It seems like if that was on the table, we probably would have heard a trade happen yeah. by now. So I think right now the Falcons seemingly are willing to settle for a second round pick and some change on that. I think that's really what they're probably going to wind up settling on. But obviously I think the ideal is getting that first round pick. Do you think there could be a young player involved? I know I just threw out Jordan Love, but I would be really interested if I was Atlanta, who still wants to win games right now. It's not a rebuild. You have an older quarterback that if I could get a former first or second round pick on their first contract in their second year or something like that, very cost affordable for the next couple of years. I'd be really interested in that. Maybe even over a future pick that doesn't help me until you know next April. I can't cash it in. Yeah, I think you you make a great point, Matt. And I, I feel like the Falcons have to get some immediate value in this trade because you're losing so much in Julio Jones. Obviously, you can have the questions about at Julio's age what the long term value he brings to the table in that regard. But you know you, that 2022 draft pick. Yeah, you you get that, but we know that rookies typically aren't great until their second or third year in the NFL. And so really, if you're trading Julio Jones, you're losing not only value in 2021, 
but you're not going to get a return on an investment probably until 2023 or 2024 at the earliest. And, and you want to get some sort of immediate value that can at least pay off for you in the next year or two in this trade. So I think you're right in terms of getting a young player or or even a veteran player um, that a team is willing to to get rid of that could maybe enhance the Falcons at one of the areas of their weakness, I think makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, second rounder plus is what we're going to end up seeing here with Julio Jones and, and what that plus is. I'm not sure. Maybe another pick, maybe a team uh, is a little worried about his injury history and it's a conditional type of pick in maybe 2023 even, or it's a player or whatever. But a second round plus is starting to really feel like that's going to be the the offer and you know whoever has the best plus is going to be the tiebreaker of that offer for the Falcons and maybe if they want to send them to the AFC instead of the NFC and and those types of things to break that tie if there's multiple teams that are willing to go second round but obviously they don't have to trade him right now today so maybe that's why they're waiting and, and hopefully enough teams are throwing a second that they do end up getting that first I'm sure that's the thought from uh, the Falcons front office as they let this thing draw out a little bit Uh, My question to you, though, is when is the deadline and is there a deadline? Do they have to trade Julio Jones? Can they literally not sign their draft picks? Is that how dire the cap situation is if they don't sign Julio Jones? And if that's the case, are we talking about a training camp deadline? I think they they would probably prefer to get this done by training camp so they don't have to deal with the constant, quote unquote, distraction of people asking when's Julio going to show up and if Julio shows up, how is the situation or is everybody making nice? Right. That's going to be the sort of thing that hangs over their training camp um, in that scenario. So I think they would probably like to get it done by training camp. But the Falcons do have alternative ways of signing their draft picks. They could wind up restructuring Grady Jarrett's contract. And if they did a simple max restructure on his deal, that would free up about $6.2 million last I checked, which would be just enough to sign their draft class. However, that would not give them much room at the end of training camp if they wanted to pick up players off the waiver wire or whatever the case may be. So one alternative to that would be to do a restructure of Grady Jarrett and add some voidable years. And I think that would push the savings to about if they added three voidable years would push the savings to about $10 million I've read. And that would be probably enough to get them to the regular season. They might be a little tight during the regular season and would have to probably hope that they don't have to deal with too many injuries. Um, But I I think the Falcons have alternative ways. Arthur Smith has already talked about this in terms of they have multiple ways in order to create cap space. So they're not solely reliant on trading Julio Jones, but obviously the $15 million that they would potentially get from trading Julio Jones is better than the 10 million max that they could get from restructuring Grady Jarrett. Aaron, I'm sure they knew this was on the horizon for a while. I mean, they had to restructure Ryan that we've seen a couple teams, the Saints, Philly, really cash strapped this year because of the COVID situation. It was unplanned for. So going into the draft, they knew, in my opinion, chances are Julio's not going to be back. He's going to be the one that we're going to have to lose. So if it were GM Freeman in charge of the Falcons, would you have taken Pitts, one of the quarterbacks? How would you have handled the fourth pick, knowing what we know now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been asked this a, a bunch. I've talked about it a bunch on Lockdown Falcons, so I know the Lockdown Falcons listeners are tired of hearing about <laughs> the relitigation of that fourth overall pick. But for me personally, I thought Justin Fields was a better overall prospect than Kyle Pitts, just because mm. of the potential upside you had 
with Justin Fields. I've said it before that I felt like in a draft that did not include Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields could go toe to toe with any of the number one picks that we've seen taken over the last, you know, 10, 15 years uh, as a prospect. So he would have been the guy that I would prefer. That doesn't indicate that I'm at all disappointed in the Falcons selecting Kyle Pitts because I think he was the best non-quarterback in this draft class. And now on my draft board, it would have been Lawrence one fields two, and then Kyle Pitts three. Um, so for me, I felt like fields was probably the better pick, but at the same time, I don't think Kyle Pitts is the wrong pick. Gotcha. Yeah. It's hard to say someone that good and that talented is the wrong pick. And it's, it's really, it seems like they've got a plan going forward, which is the, the trade Julio plan. If they can get what they're looking for with passing on a quarterback, drafting a pass catcher. It seems like that's just the natural progression of things, and that's the direction this thing's going to go. And we'll see if it actually plays out that way throughout the rest of June. Uh, I was hoping maybe, you know, that post-June 1st deadline would be a little bit more active by the time we're sitting here on on June 3rd talking about this thing. But uh, I don't know. You might have to go into month number two, Aaron, on Locked on Falcons talking about Julio every single day because I'm sure there's going to be a new report here and there with the team here and there. More with Aaron Freeman coming up. I want to ask you about your feelings on on which teams could be landing spots for Julio Jones, what he has left in the tank, and the rest of that Falcons roster shaping up for 2021. Got a new diet, trying to get back into shape, and something that always fits into any diet I'm trying to do can give me energy throughout the day, can be a little snack, can be a meal replacement if I need it to be, high in protein, low in sugar, that's the key, it's what you're looking for in a healthy snack, and you can find them at BuiltBar.com. High protein, low sugar, low calorie snack, you can feel good about and taste fantastic. No skimping on flavor when it comes to Built Bar's They're the best tasting protein bar on the market, but they are healthy too, which is exactly what I have a feeling you're looking for. And if you're not sure exactly which flavor to try or you haven't tried them all and you just want more flavors, build yourself a box of Built Bars or maybe find one of their limited edition flavors that can pop up at any time. Many bars have only 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of of net carbs, even good for a keto diet. And best of all, you can save 15% using promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. Just go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Convenient self-service at RockAuto.com where you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, jumper cables, even new carpet for your classic cars, your daily driver. Get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer, and best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers alike. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you 
Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Aaron, when it comes to Julio Jones and a potential trade, do you get a feel at all about maybe where that landing spot could be? This is my last Julio Jones question, by the way. We'll talk about the rest of the Falcons roster, but <laughs> is there like a, a fictitious offer or a rumored offer you've heard or you know a nice fit you've seen out there when, when thinking about all this for a team fit and something that could work out between the Falcons and another team for Julio? Yeah, I mean, you guys probably talk about this a, a bunch, but it seems like the betting odds change every day on who's the favorite to land Julio Jones. <laughs> yeah. and, and so it's hard for me to keep track of who. I, I think it's hard for me to sort of make a, a, a good prediction about where he'll line up or wind up because, you know, I've heard Tennessee. I've talked to Lockdown Titans host Tyler Rowland about some fictitious offers. And, um, you know, it, it's hard because I think the teams that probably want Julio the most are the teams that don't necessarily have the cap space to ab- absorb his contract right now. Um, and I think the Falcons want to do everything in their power to unload the entirety of that contract and not have to sort of do a similar thing to what Denver had to do with Teddy Bridgewater and or Carolina had to do with ter- Teddy Bridgewater and sort of pay some of his salary in order to facilitate that trade. I don't think the Falcons want to do that, but that then has limiting options on who they can trade to, which then goes back to the fact that, that we talked about earlier on who's offering the best draft pick compensation. So it, it feels like there's going to be some moving parts before we get to who ultimately is going to land uh, Julio Jones. If I was sort of sitting here as the the czar of, of sports and saying could dictate where I would want Julio Jones to go to, I would probably pick Baltimore uh, just because I feel like that's, you know, a situation where you don't have to worry about him coming back and, and destroying your, your team if you're the Falcons. But it also puts Julio in a, an ideal situation where you have a team that presumably is on the cusp of, of competing for a Super Bowl, And I feel like he would give that offense the one thing that it's really missing, which is that go-to number one wide receiver. And not to mention, you know, given how Baltimore likes to run the football, you know, Julio Jones is a pretty good blocker, you know, uh, so he could fit into that offense at that point in time. Aaron, what are your expectations for Arthur Smith? I mean, I don't think any of us know what kind of head coach he's going to be. I think it's a great hire. I think he's going to be desperately missed in Tennessee and I don't know if our listeners understand this, but Atlanta was you know, a four-win team last year, but their point differential was only minus 18. I mean, like, there was a lot of close games that maybe a new coach can get them over the hump on. Yeah, I, you know, that's been a big topic of debate uh, in the Falcons uh, universe, where it's like, how good was this team really? If they had... Yeah had competent to good coaching last year, should they have probably won seven or eight games? And I tend to uh, subscribe to that theory that they should have won that. And so I think that's the expectation with Arthur Smith, that he can get this team back to being a competitive team with better, you know, coaching than what the Falcons received last year in in Dan Quinn with that 0-5 start. And they, they, things improve for them in the second half of the season, once Raheem Morris took over and they were a much more competitive team and we saw them go toe to toe against some really good football teams. And I think the hope is that, you know, Arthur Smith can um, bring more to the table. And then you couple that with not necessarily facing as tough a schedule this season, at least based off of last year's record going up against some NFC East and AFC East teams, which were not the best divisions in football last year, that maybe you can get a boost there. So I feel like 
optimism is high um, with Arthur Smith and what he will bring, uh, particularly in the two areas of weaknesses for the Falcons offense a year ago, which was their running game and the red zone offense, which were the t- arguably the two biggest strengths of the Titans offense the last two years where Arthur Smith is um, concerned. But for me personally, like a lot of my optimism was tied to the idea of having Arthur Smith and a healthy Julio Jones. And it's harder for me to be as optimistic as I was a a month or so ago, uh, knowing the possibility or the probability that Julio Jones is not going to be part of the equation. And so that puts a little bit more of a burden on Arthur Smith to sort of have to carry a little bit more weight than I, I think he probably initially signed up for, but we'll see whether or not he can do that. I think there's certainly a, a chance that he can, given that the Falcons aren't, you know, lacking for weapons with guys like Calvin Ridley and, and Kyle Pitts. But, you know, Derrick Henry's not walking through that door, but they'll have to find ways to compensate uh, for that with their passing game here in Atlanta, as opposed to how they did things in Tennessee. Yeah, running back Mike Davis looking like the starter there in Atlanta. And, you know, he's sort of, you know, journeyman territory at this point in his career. That's a position that I was surprised they didn't try a little harder to find at least, you know, maybe that diamond in the rough in the draft because we've seen so many late round draft picks uh, show out. They did draft or add a couple of undrafted free agents. The new hire in Arthur Smith, if I'm not mistaken, terminology similar. Uh, sort of, you know, n- not too far of a tree from where they were at offensively. Was that part of the idea to keep things new, but then kind of the same with bringing in Arthur Smith to that offense? Yeah, I, I think that was sort of the the secret uh, behind the Falcons' hopeful success this year, which was, look, you know, this team, while doesn't necessarily need a full rebuild, just kind of needs a little bit of a revamp. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that arguably the two biggest weaknesses of the Falcons offense a year ago was their running game and their inability to score in the red zone. And then you bring in a head coach that had an offense the last two years in Tennessee that was one of the best running games in the league we've seen and also the consistently one of the best red zone offenses. I don't think that's a coincidence. So I, I do feel like that was there was some method to the Falcons madness with that hire um, as it applies to Mike Davis in the running game. I'm optimistic that we will see improvement there, but I don't know if Mike Davis alone can sort of provide you the the stability and the foundation to your offense in your rushing attack um, that you're ideally looking for. But I think there will be gains there, uh, but I I don't know if if he's going to be that sort of guy that you can hand the ball off 20 and 25 times a game and expect him to produce at the level that you typically would want in a feature back. But he'll be an upgrade. Aaron, what's your take on this offensive line? I mean, I think we know what Jake Matthews is at left tackle. I was a little shocked that they drafted Drew Dahlman, and that's a guy we talked about a lot on the show and both of us liked because they drafted Hennessy last year, but that was a different staff that drafted Hennessy. Throw Jalen Mayfield in as a third rounder. And then in 2019, he used two first-round picks on offensive linemen and McGarry and Lindstrom. There's a lot of pedigree here, and you know, I, I think there's some upside to the group. Yeah, I think there's potential here. I think the question is with the offensive line, can it hit the ground running quickly? Because you have a lot of youth. You're going to have, whether it's Hennessy or Dolman, you're going to have a first-year starter at center replacing Alex Mack. Probably you're going to have Jalen Mayfield starting at left guard. That It seemed that that's the plan, but he's making a transition from right tackle and is a little raw and and maybe not the, the cleanest scheme fit when you're talking about this outside zone scheme. So there's some question marks there. 
you know, as you say, you feel good about the left tackle position with Jake Matthews. Chris Lindstrom looked really good a year ago at right guard. Caleb McGarry slowly coming on as a right tackle. So you, you feel like 60% of your offensive line is there, but that last 40% are big question marks. And I think yeah. there's certainly potential that this unit could coalesce and be one of the, the better units um, down the road. But you wonder if down the road is 2022. To 2023 and you kind of need those guys to come together in 2021 very quickly and that's I think the big question mark and particularly when you look at a quarterback like Matt Ryan you know Matt Ryan's not going to be this quarterback that's going to scramble and, and run around all, all, all the time and typically for those types of quarterbacks we've seen this with Drew Brees in recent years you want to build inside out with your offensive line um, because you want to have those sort of pocket quarterbacks having that clean pocket to step up into and and throw the football. And that's where the biggest question mark for the Falcons offensive line has been the last couple of years. And I think even though they have made some investments there uh, this offseason, it still remains the biggest question mark moving forward. And so it may not be the best mix if you can't solidify that interior offensive line to get the most out of Matt Ryan in these last uh, years of his NFL career. Uh, so th- it, the offensive line is, is a work in progress, but there's, there's certainly, as you say, upside, but it's questioning sort of where that floor is for them in the immediate future. A lot of talk about this Falcons offense when we know the defense is really the thing that uh, needs the most work when it comes to the Falcons winning football games. So let's talk defense coming up, the outlook for the Falcons in 2021. Bet online is the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season, full swing, there's something there all season long, all summer long to bet on. But we've got NHL and NBA playoffs happening. Those are always super fun to bet on as the summer gets started. UFC, MMA action, we've got golf tournaments, we've got horse racing. There's no end to things you can bet on at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop, mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Reality TV, award shows, you name it. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game as teams are in their playoff Runs. Head to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today, betonline.ag, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code locked on. That's promo code locked on for 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's be honest, this team's defense has let them down for going on years now. And what do you think about the addition of Dean Pease, a defensive coordinator? Looking at the roster there, second-round pick, Richie Grant, guy liked it, had a really nice senior bowl week there. Uh, A.J. Terrell was the first-rounder last year at corner. Isaiah Oliver, I liked coming out of college. has been a disappointment for the Falcons at corner. Dante Fowler rushing the passer off the edge. You mentioned J.D. Grady Jarrett, whether he's uh, restructured (laughs) or not. Deion Jones, and then uh, a lot of names not necessarily uh, household names, and I couldn't give you the full scouting report even on a lot of these guys that might end up starting for the Falcons. So where are you at on defense? Yeah, you know, the defense, again, similar to the offensive line, is definitely a work in progress. I think they they showed some promise last year under Raheem Morris. Uh, it, due to injuries to Dante Fowler and, and Tack McKinley, they did not have a pass rush that could reliably get pressure with four guys. 
And so starting in week six, when Raheem Morris took over for Dan Quinn, they dialed up a lot more blitzes. And that was pretty effective for roughly a month uh, of the season. Um, But in the second half of the season, it was a lot less effective, I think, in part due to playing some better quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers. I'm not Aaron Rodgers, I'm sorry, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady uh, down the stretch. And just, you know, offenses start to see what you're doing, what you're cooking up, and they can make those adjustments. And it seems like you're going to have a similar dynamic this year under Dean Pease where he's going to be very aggressive with his blitzing, but you do wonder whether or not that's going to be as effective for 16 games um, as we saw it was not the case uh, with Raheem Morris last year. So honestly, I don't really expect that much difference between the Falcons defense this year and last year based off of going from Raheem Morris to Dean Pease. I think stylistically they're going to be very similar. The question is going to be whether or not they'll be just a little bit more consistent with Dean Pease. Um, And the hope is that, you know, Dante Fowler is better this year. Marlon Davidson, their second round pick who had an injury played rookie season is better this year. Deion Jones had a little bit of a down year. Hopefully he's better this year. You hope that your secondary play is better with a second year AJ Terrell and you know, hopefully Fabian Moreau is, is a better outside corner than what they had a year ago with guys like Isaiah Oliver and, and Darquez Denard. And you hope your safety play is a little bit more consistent. Keanu Neal played well at the second half of last year, but struggled in the first half. Ricardo Allen was not very effective. DeMonte Casey missed most of the year. So guys like Richie Grant and Deron Harmon from formerly of the Lions and, and Patriots, you hope that they solidify that unit. So I think there's reasons to be optimistic that the defense can be a little bit better this year, but I don't think you're going to, basically rely on your defense to win you football games, which has not been the case for the Falcons. It, it sort of puts more pressure again on that offense to go out there and win you games. And the defense just kind of has to be good enough, right? You know, the Falcons are going to be in, in those situations a lot of weeks where they, you know, they might have to drop 30 points um, or more in order to win games. And if you can win games 30 to 27, you'll take that. Right. Um, but uh, you know, if, if their offense can't sort of carry, uh, the bulk of the weight, then, you know, I don't know if the defense is going to be able to 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 provide that juice that you need in order to win some of these close games. Yeah, staying on that side of the ball, I mean, they almost have to be better at safety than they were a year ago. And I, I like the additions they made. I really like the Dean Pease hire and make a great point about generating pressure through blitz. I'm not sure our fans realize Grady Jarrett is maybe the most underrated player in the entire league, and he's the straw that serves the drink. I mean, he's a a tremendous football player. I just don't see any edge pass rush. I mean, Fowler's fine, but where's the edge presence? Yeah, and and this goes back to maybe the Julio Jones conversation where if you can free up cap space, maybe you can address that issue because right now it seems like the Falcons are going to start Barkevious Mingo as their other outside uh, linebacker as they play this sort of hybrid 3-4 front under Dean Pease and Barkevis Mean was perfectly fine as a run defending and, and coverage linebacker, but he's not going to bring really much of any juice as a pass rusher. And, and again, it goes back to the point I just made that they're not going to really be able to generate reliable pressure with four outside of basically Grady Jarrett doing his thing, which, you know, he's very good as you, as you mentioned, Matt, um, but you're going to really need Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson to really carry a lot more weight this year uh, as the the other two guys in that four-man pass rush. Um, so I think, you know, whether it's getting a young pass rusher back in a trade uh, for Julio Jones or using some of that cap space uh, that they 
get from trading Julio Jones to to add somebody, maybe a veteran that's unsigned. You you have guys like Melvin Ingram out there available or or whatever the case may be. Someone along that line, Justin Justin Houston or or whatever the case may be, to bring a little bit more juice. um, That's going to help you. In, in a lot of ways, you know, it's not going to magically fix your defensive problems, but certainly you want to do your best. If it's just a bandaid, that's better than nothing at this point. You mentioned a name there that I'd almost forgotten about second rounder from the 2020 draft, Marlon Davidson. What do you expect from him? What kind of a, a player did you see in limited action last year? Is he going to be more of a bigger end? Is he going to be rushing from the interior, maybe a little bit of both in, in sort of a multiple front? Yeah, my expectation is it will probably utilize Marlon Davidson primarily as a pass rushing interior player to line up next to to Grady Jarrett. That was the expectation last year when they drafted him. And I wouldn't change that expectation. You know, he he dealt with COVID. He had a knee issue, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, basically an injury plague season and basically had like three or four weeks uh, all last year where he was healthy. Now, in those three or four games where he was healthy, I thought he played reasonably well. Didn't really see a whole lot out of him as a pass rusher in those three or four games, but certainly, you know, enhanced their run defense. And that was kind of the opposite of the book on Marlon Davidson coming out where he was more of an adept pass rusher. And you wondered if he had the sort of size playing that DN spot at Auburn as, as a bigger DN, whether he could hold up on the interior as a run defender. So it does give me a little bit more optimism that that won't be as big a concern, but obviously you don't draft that guy in in round two, unless you think he's going to bring some juice as a pass rusher. And so far the early returns are that, you know, he's off to a good start this off season, but you know, obviously he's going to have to to prove that he can stay healthy and and perform this upcoming season. Cause as uh, we already discussed, I I think they're going to be leaning heavily on him to provide some uh, additional help, Uh, in addition to Grady Jarrett on the interior. All right, last one for you here, Aaron, and then we'll get you out. And I lied about my last Julio question being the last one. I got one more question here. And it's it's an important one for both the Falcons and any team that's looking at Julio as, you know, somebody that they're trying to trade for because obviously it's going to be a team that is trying to win and wants a huge impact. And we know how good Julio Jones is, Hall of Fame path player, but how good is he now? How good is he at this age with the lower body injuries he's gone through? What is the team getting exactly in Julio Jones currently? Look, Brian, I, I understand as the host of Locked On 49ers, you're, you're just trying to get some inside information. On, on whether or not you I'm wondering if that to... second and conditional fourth is going to get it done. That's what that's what Crocker and I have come up with for you. So I, I understand where you're coming from. You, you, you got to get this uh, inside information while you can. Uh, I think Julio Jones is still one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think it, for many, many years he was – Obviously, I'm maybe a little biased, but clearly the best wide receiver in the league. I don't think you can really make that case as much. I think, you know, he's basically what I would say is he's probably lost the championship belt, but he's still contending to to retain that belt. So I still think he's one of the five or six best wide receivers in the NFL. The main issue with Julio Jones last year was the injuries. I think some of that is owed to the Falcons not doing a great job managing his injury situation last year, unlike they had done the previous four years where they didn't really give him rest in the summer uh, with that hamstring injury, because I think they were kind of desperate without the preseason to try to get AJ Terrell, their number one pick as ready as possible. And they wanted to get him as many reps going up against Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley in practice as possible. And and that led to Julio not getting as much rest and that then exacerbated his hamstring injury as we got into the season. So any team that acquires Julio Jones is going to have to manage him. That's going to be include, you know, basically giving him the summer off preseason off. That's going to include, you know, 
rest days on Wednesdays and practice weeks or whatever the case may be. And, and limited practice reps maybe on Fridays as well. Um, but you know, he's a gamer. He's, he's definitely going to come through to you on Sundays. Um, and he's going to bring a lot of value, not only as a, you know, receiver at all levels, um, you know, being that explosive playmaker that, defenses have to deal with. He's still that guy that is going to demand double coverage because no defensive coordinator wants to go into Sunday and being like, Hey, Julio Jones beat us. Like you, you, your goal is to basically contain him as much as possible and let somebody else on the offense beat you. And if that happens and you say, okay, well, you know, it, it is what it is, but I'm not going to let that one guy that we know can beat us, beat us. So I think he still is capable of playing at that high level um, and still being, you know, a, a receiver that you can expect this upcoming season to get you 1200 to 1400 yards. Um, and then probably hereafter, probably get you a thousand plus for the next two or three years. So I think he's still a high level receiver, but in terms of being like the guy, the number one guy in the league, the number two or three guy in the league, he's probably not that guy, but he's probably like the number six or seven guy in the league. So I don't think too many teams would be complaining about having a, a receiver of that caliber. I got one last thing on Julio too, and and just his legacy. And the more I think about him, and he's in the news so much, and I've said this a couple times. I think Rice and Moss are the only two I'm taking over him all time. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, Matt. Similar, I, I feel like you can really make a strong case that he's one of the three best wide receivers that we've yeah. ever seen. Um, you know, I, I'm sure some Detroit fans are not happy not having Calvin Johnson in that conversation, but I, I really think that's ultimately the legacy that Julio Jones has that you can put him in the conversation as one of the best receivers that we've ever seen play this game. Um, and, you know, th that's a, a rare situation. And when I think back of my memories of watching the Falcons these last 10 years, so many of them are Julio Jones making amazing plays and amazing sure. catches and whatnot. And so it's hard on a personal level, having had so much of, your time watching this football team tied to this one player that now you're faced with the sort of existential crisis of not having that opportunity anymore. And I knew this day was coming, but I did not expect this day to happen in 2021. <laughs> I still thought I had like maybe six or more months to have to prepare for that day to happen. And it's easier a pill to swallow uh, if you if you kind of go into the season knowing, OK, this might be Julio's last dance here in Atlanta. And so I, I can make peace with that. But now knowing that we may not get that opportunity um, is is been a tough pill to swallow. And it's, it's going to take me time uh, to, to really wrap my head around that. Hey, well, Moss finished his career in a 49ers uniform, so I guess we could see Julio do that, too. It wouldn't be the worst thing. And then uh, all three of the greatest all time would have worn that uniform as they should. And hey. Julio didn't have a bad run under Kyle Shanahan as an offensive coordinator for a couple of years there in 2015 and 2016 either. Yeah, it, you look, it, if we're talking about good places for Julio to show up uh, to, and where he would be in good hands, I think San Francisco is, is near the top of that list for obvious reasons. Uh, I don't necessarily want to do favors for the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan at, at this point <laughs> in time. But, um, you know, if, if it, that's the case, you know, I will be happy for Julio, but not so happy for the Falcons. Fantastic stuff. That is Aaron Freeman, Locked on Falcons. You can find him on Twitter, at FalcFans. Aaron, appreciate the time, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks again to Aaron Freeman. Thanks again to everybody for listening. Hit Matt and I up on Twitter, at BDPeacock, at WilliamsonNFL. Back tomorrow, right here, Peacock and Williamson.